everybody, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is, well, here in Israel, anyhow, it's just closing, September 11th. God, that's never just going to be a date anymore, is it? Uh, 2022, moving into the 16th day of Elul, 5782. I, of course, I'm in Israel right now, and I am delighted to have on the line with me um, Mark Bennett from Aspen. You guys know I was there, I don't know, probably like a month ago, something like that. And one of the uh, one of the nice side benefits of my visit there, in addition to just being in Aspen, seeing Jersey boys, going hiking in Maroon Bells, and of course speaking, um, was getting to meet Mark Bennett. Um, mutual friends introduced us. Totally fascinated by his work and said like, this guy is just too cool for me to keep to myself. Got to share him with my listeners. So here you are. And Mark is uh, a few hours back up in the beautiful, beautiful uh, Colorado Rocky Mountains. So Mark, thanks for joining me today on my podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So you're a filmmaker, you're an artist, a whole lot more also. But just a few years ago, you were telling me your life turned, you, you know, changed, like took this bizarre twist. So maybe start from the beginning, tell us what you were doing up until then. And then just kind of how now you're in like a place that you never thought you'd be, which by the way, has happened to me also and happened probably to my, a lot of my listeners. So we're totally, we're totally waiting to hear like, I don't know how God came into your life suddenly and said, no, you're going to go this way right now instead of that way. <laughs> exactly. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, um, New York, and uh, I've always was an artist and a photographer. And my journeys led me around the United States. And uh, eventually I came to Colorado about 16 years ago uh, because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in big cities. And I fell in love with the nature and the mountains. And, um, I was introduced to Rabbi Mendel Minsk, who's the uh, rabbi of a uh, Chabad synagogue in JCC here. And at the time, they were uh, they had bought a piece of land downtown Aspen, to my surprise, and were building, raising money to build a, a Jewish center and uh, and synagogue. And uh, I offered to make a piece of art for the rabbi when this place opened. And uh, fast forward seven years, I got the tour of the place. My jaw hit the ground. It was a magnificent mountain modern uh, building and 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 sanctuary. It is. <laughs> I will testify to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really magnificent. I had no idea because uh, up until it was unveiled, um, it was covered in um, scaffolding. And it was designed by a very prominent New York architect named Arthur Shaban. Um, anyway, I, when I saw it, I thought this little piece of art I was going to make for the rabbi just was not enough. I wanted to make something to really celebrate the center. And, uh, so I came up with an idea, pitched it to the rabbi. And the idea basically was a piece of art called the history of the star David. And basically it would consist of 18 images all printed on anodized aluminum. So it had a very reflective quality to it almost like a modern version of a stained glass window and he loved the idea and he gave me the main wall in the in the entry hall of the jcc and i set out to make this piece and the idea behind it was a kind of a celebration of jewish uh, culture and history based on the journey of this symbol that is probably one of the most recognizable symbols on the planet but few people, if any, really know its history and its story through all its incarnations over the millennium 
from both the highs to the lows. And um, <clears throat> so I thought this would be appropriate. And our mutual friend, Alan Altman, uh, offered to fund this, even though it was a gift, he wanted to contribute to the manufacturing. So I set out to make this piece, which was about eight by 12 feet, <clears throat> excuse me, that would, would, would hang in the, prominently in the, in the opening, uh, in the main gallery. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a very exciting researching the project. I learned a lot myself because I didn't know that much about the, the history of the Magen David and the Star David. And I found so you've got to tell us. I mean, I know it, but I want you I want my listeners to hear it from you because you put in hours and hours and hours. Well, I was and, very fortunate to be able to give to be given access to the Museum of Tolerance's archive. And there I found over 100 images of the star through its earliest incarnations at a, some carvings at a temple in on the Sea of Galilee right. to throughout history. Um its uses in dec decorative usages, Judea, um, even chuppah stones, um, uh, biblical texts, and even through its, some of its lowest incarnations when it was used as a marker of anti-Semitism during the Holocaust. And then up until 1948, when it was chosen to be the symbol on the, the flag of Israel, which, if anything, to me, symbolized this journey and this you know, especially from the lows to the highs, that this symbol that could be once used as a, you know, marker during the Holocaust to be chosen to be on the flag of Israel, to me, if anything showed perseverance, hope, courage, and uh, and optimism, that was it. So I made the piece. It came out really beautifully. Um, and uh, the day I was putting it up, the day I was hanging it, mm -hmm. I, I started meeting people uh, through the synagogue that were interested in buying uh, copies of it. And I had never really even imagined making more than one of them. But uh, from that day on, uh, a business grew out of it. And I sold pieces that are now hanging in uh, museums all around the world in, and people's personal collections. And uh, so it was a very exciting that this simple little gift of of to celebrate the center and right. to be welcoming this Jewish, you know, uh, sanctuary and center in our community became a business and, and basically changed my life led to pretty much all the movie projects I'm working on now and all the other artwork projects I'm working on now. So it's, it's kind of a, a fascinating, uh, in, incident to me that, uh, this one gift had made such a difference in my life. How do you how do you figure that? Like, I'm sure you've thought about it. Like here you're making this and you're initially initially donating it, the Star of David, mm -hmm. to a synagogue, mm -hmm. which is an appropriate thing to do. Right. It's like you said, mm -hmm. it's the symbol. Truth is that in the olden days, our symbol was the menorah. But over the years, that's become less so. And really, if somebody wants to wear a necklace that says I'm Jewish, they're going to usually wear a Star of David. And as you said, when the Nazis have the yellow star to say, you know, the people have to wear to signify that they're Jews and, of course, be treated worse than terribly, it's going to be, it's going to be the star. So for the highs and for the lows, but like, how do you, um, so first of all, were you a very affiliated Jew? Were you very much involved in your Jewish life before this project? Cause from what you said to me, this like caught you kind of unawares. Yes. I, you know, I grew up secular, even though my grandparents were, uh, you know, very religious and, and observant and I, uh, 
I, you know, I went to Hebrew school, got bar mitzvah, but I was always, you know, more attracted to the cultural issues of being Jewish uh, than the religious ones for the most part. Um, but I always felt an affinity to my heritage and my culture and my background and was always fascinated with it. So when I went to make this piece for the rabbi, I thought I really wanted to make something that would, you know, as Alan Altman said, awaken the heart and elevate the soul through this, you know, kind of allegorical story. And um, so it was very exciting. And it, and I think if I look back on it, it was, it just reconnected me to my Judaism, my heritage and my culture and awoken that spirit in me to a, a really another level. And it was when, when this, art piece started to catch on and be acquired for like the, you know, Los Angeles, uh, the Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles or Yad Vashem or the uh, Holocaust Documentation Education Center in South Florida or Sinai Temple in Israel. I mean, in um, Los I'm Angeles, sorry, Newport Beach. Newport Beach. Oh, okay. no, I'm sorry. Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. <laughs> And the uh, Chabad in Newport Beach. Right. Um, and I started seeing the reaction to this. Um, that was really the awakening for me. And like I said, it started to lead to other projects. And then I realized something was more at play here than I may have imagined. Mm -hmm. That, you know, this this gift started to generate all these other interesting projects. A lot of them, you know, Jewish related, which was fine with me because they were all things I was very passionate and uh, proud to be involved with. So would you say uh, that before this project, you were an artist who happened to be Jewish and now you're a Jewish artist? Is, is there a difference in that? Or am I like, you know, going a little out there? And then to add to this question, because this is what I always do. What is Jewish art? Is Jewish art, you know, because of the creator or is it what the content is? Because there's a difficulty in Jewish art in the sense that we are told in the Bible to, to not have graven images. And so really, I mean, I studied Christian art, for example. There is so much more Christian art than Jewish art out there. It's unbelievable. I mean, the museums just in Italy are full of it. And yet you don't really see it like commensurate Jewish art. So, you know, now, now that you're in that world, and, and I would suppose that at least other people would say you're a Jewish artist, because one of the big things that you've done has a very Jewish theme. How do you see it from the Jewish side? How do you see it from the artistic side, even from the historical cultural side, which you mentioned is what fascinates you? That's a great question, Eve. I, I would say that I've always been an artist and a filmmaker, and I've always been Jewish. And I think that whether Jewish art or a Jewish artist or artist, I, I think it's more I'm an artist who happens to be Jewish mm -hmm. and the themes of my art and film now have become very tied to Jewish culture, traditions and and subject matter. You know, when the Star David project uh, grew and became a business, I immediately thought that it was really important that I share the profits of this business with an, with an institution. And that's when I was introduced to Soroka Medical Center in Israel, in the Negev, in Beersheba. And I thought, what a perfect partner for this. And the reason being that the main theme of the artwork was hope, life, and perseverance. And that was pretty much the same mission as the hospital. 
And so we worked out a deal. They agreed to acquire a gigantic version of the art to adorn the new healing garden of their cancer, new brand new cancer center. And in exchange for that, I would donate 10% of all the proceeds of wow. the art sales and merchandise around the world and also promote the hospital with everything that we sell. And I kind of thought of the Chagall windows in of, at Hadassah Hospital because growing up in the United States, there was not a Jewish home that I was ever in that didn't have some kind of trinket, uh, you know, a postcard, a, a potholder, or this right. or that, the Chagall windows on it. And I figured that if if that artwork could bring such notoriety and, and income to Hadassah, I could do the same for Soroka. And so far, you know, we've been selling many of them all around the world, and it all helps promote Soroka and helps with their building, you know, brand awareness for this amazing institution that very few people know about in the United States. Right. So that was tremendously gratifying. And um, again, it's it's the theme being Jewish, but the hospital is non-denominational. They treat everybody. Oh, yeah. Denominations. They're in the Negev. They treat a lot of the Bedouin. They treat a lot of Israel's minorities. It's it's very much maybe of all Israel's hospitals known as like a community hospital in the sense of really having a very, very varied population and treating everyone the same. Everyone gets this exact same medical care. So that was as an artist to have something uh, be part of this amazing hospital and also now being promoted as a cultural landmark down there to attract tourism, which was very exciting for me, especially that the artwork, even though it was a Jewish theme about the Star of David, mm -hmm. took on a more universal message to anybody Jewish or non-Jewish of one of hope, survival, perseverance, and um, that universality of that uh, that the artwork took on was probably the most exciting thing to me about the whole project. Mm -hmm. Well, amazing. I mean, I just, people can't see your face, but I mean, when I met you in Aspen, the enthusiasm and just your feeling like something had finally clicked in your life. You're not 22 years old anymore. You know, it's like all of your talents were geared to this, to this kind of moment and to what was happening here. So tell us what other projects have come out of this. Well, that, that's even more interesting part of my journey. Um, so the first thing that happened was I was invited to the, to bring that artwork to a jury Judaic art show up in uh, Chicago at a, a wonderful synagogue uh, named Mariah a Synagogue, which was very interesting because there was a very, it was almost like a shuttle. There was a small community. People walked to the synagogue. It was a uniting place for the community. And um, I forgot how I heard about it, but I was invited and uh, I was chosen to be part of the show. You had to be accepted. It was predominantly Israeli artists, but mm -hmm. there were a few Americans. And it was basically like a three or four day event. They give you a booth. The, the congregation and all people in the community come, they buy art, they see your exhibit. <clears throat> and one of the most beautiful things about it is they house the artists with the congregants. Oh, So not only are you going to this other place, um, but you're being housed by the congregants. So you really get to become immersed in the community um, and go to services and they had dinners for us, et cetera. So, <clears throat> I showed my work and sold a, a, quite a few pieces. 
And then I was introduced to a woman um, who uh, heard I was a filmmaker as well. And she had a, a book that her her mother wrote 30 years ago. Her mother was one of the heads of childhood edu- early childhood education in Chicago. And she thought that all the things that they're teaching in school about the holidays and the culture, the one thing that was missing was teaching about the Holocaust. But how do you do that with young children? It's right. a very sensitive subject. And how do you make it palatable? So she came up with this idea based on one of the Czech scrolls, which were towers that were pilfered from synagogues in Czechoslovakia and stored with the hope of the Nazis eventually making a museum to uh, celebrate this race they wiped off the face of the earth. Well, let me just tell my listeners, for those who don't know, Prague still has a lot of the synagogue standing and Judaica because it was going to be the center for the people that no longer exist. And the Nazis were going to ship all this stuff there and kind of have, you know, like a museum to the Incas that you might go to now, right? This was, there was once a group called Jews, but they're no longer around, but this is some of what they did. Um, So that's what, that's what Mark's talking about now is these Torah scrolls that had been hidden by the Nazis in order to one day use them as an exhibit of the book that no one ever really uses anymore, but they brought it to the world for a while. So yeah, sorry to interrupt. Right. So they, the Nazis were very good and sometimes it came to haunt them how efficient they were at categorizing and cataloging everything. The Torahs were numbered, all the artifacts were numbered. So when these were discovered after the war, they were brought to a Westminster synagogue and a trust was formed to restore these these uh, Torahs, a lot of which were damaged mm-hmm. and make them kosher again. And they were then distributed, loaned to synagogues and JCCs around the world. And one of them ended up in Chicago, which was a a, a small child's Torah. So the, the mother uh, wrote a book about based on that story about the, how this children's Torah ended up in Chicago based on a true story, and she called it the Tattooed Torah. And basically, uh, this book became a staple in early childhood education for the Holocaust. So the daughter, now 30 years later, her mother wasn't around, she wanted to make it into an animated film. She had talked to numerous people over the years. Nobody really was interested or thought it was viable for make a movie for children about the Holocaust and this Torah. I looked at the book, I saw the magnificent illustrations, and immediately on the spot said, I'll do it. I, you know, I had been directing for years, but I had never done animated movie. And I didn't know where I would get the funding or how I would do it. But I just knew that this was something really important. And I had never heard of anything geared towards children like that. And I was very um, taken with the subject. And I thought it was really important, something that needed to be taught. So um, the first person I called was one of my good friends whose family is a big supporter of, of, uh, of Holocaust education around the world. They are big supporters of the museum in Auschwitz, Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in L.A. She looked at it. She signed on immediately. Next call I made was to the head of the USC Shoah Foundation uh, to see if they would come on and be involved. And they actually came on to, to be the distributor through educational uh, markets and we made this uh film and i got ed asner to narrate it wow recorded a 60 piece orchestra and 30 piece choir and this little 20 minute movie uh is still going strong it's played in film festivals all around the world uh, it is 
part of USC Shoah's eyewitness website where it's available to schools and classrooms for free with an educational curriculum they developed with it. And we estimate it's been viewed by over 750,000 people around wow. the world so far and growing. We just did, when I met you, we had just did a, a USC show uh, had just come to Aspen to do its first screening here. And uh, that was a very exciting. <clears throat> so that film is just still going strong. And um, that film led to two other films that have two other documentaries, one which I produced and one which I directed, co-directed. Uh, one is for Ben-Gurion University to celebrate a, a monumental endowment they got from a Holocaust survivor couple because of their work with water. And the other one is a documentary that about a, a really interesting subject, but it's a, an annual bike ride from Auschwitz to the JCC in Krakow wow. to commemorate the Holocaust and raise money for the survivors they take care of. And, hmm. um, it, that really became a, a much bigger project and I'm still working on that today it's been three years and we're reaching a point where we're almost done but huh. um so that that one gift has spawned all these very interesting projects that i'm very 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 excited about and another one of them which was an art project even though it wasn't judea <coughs> related it was um I was asked to do a an installation at one of Israel's most prominent centers for uh, disabled children, mostly Down syndrome, uh, by the name of Shalva yeah. in Jerusalem. And I just finished that the the, the museum piece. Uh, I mean, the uh, piece for the hospital and the Shalva piece were both unveiled this year. So it was it's been a busy time, and all of this again stem from that simple gift of creating something to celebrate this center here in Aspen. It's just incredible. Like your whole life now became involved with, with Holocaust and Judaism and Israel and these centers here in Israel that are saving lives. Like you said, the cancer center, Shava's amazing what they do with kids with special needs and really give them, you know, have them reach the potential and help the families. And these are, you know, it, it's, it's situations that weren't ideal that people are making the best of and, you know, making the world a better place through it. And you're right there. I mean, you're just a total part of it. It's it's wild. It's just wild. Yeah, and I encourage everybody, if you're in Bersheva, to stop by and see yes. the healing guarded at the cancer center. And if you're in Jerusalem, to stop in at Shalva. It's one of the most magnificent facilities and what they're doing there with disability uh and and bringing inclusion to these lives of these children as opposed to being on the outside of right. uh, society and uh and if you get a chance to see the tattoo torah i'll give you the website it's the usc's website um okay all i'm extremely proud of and you know passionate about and i you know, I feel like these are all things that can help make a difference in the world. And to be a part of that as an artist or a filmmaker, I mean, nothing is more gratifying than that. Mm -hmm. To take your talents that you've honed over the last few decades, and now you're right there uh, in order to make this difference. Do you, what are the future projects? Anything on the table? Can you talk about it? Uh, I am working on some other potential installations that museums and and public spaces which i kind of been gravitating towards because i love the idea 
of working in large scale. I mm -hmm. mean, I, my, I originally began as a set designer in the theater, and I was always intrigued with making things that were big and viewed by many people. So public art installations now seem as like a natural. Right. And uh, there were other film projects in development for various different topics, not all Jewish related, but some are. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that I can't speak about yet, but I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I, I try to present myself as somebody open to opportunities and to potential other projects that are meaningful and could make a difference in the world. And so when you put that out into the world, you seem to attract uh, like-minded people and like-minded projects. And uh, it's exciting. And it's, I, every, every once in a while, I'll take a step back and just pinch myself. <laughs> like how, how did this, you know, journey become bestowed on me, but I'll, but I take it, I take it and I, I give it my all. And, uh, it, it, it makes me get out of bed in the morning with, it, with enthusiasm. Right. <laughs> well, you're using your gifts to just, not just like to make money, but to change lives. I mean, really, and to bring awareness of, of things that people wouldn't have been aware of. Do you have a, a website? Like someone's listening. I've got listeners from all over the world who may not be in Israel. They may not get to some of the places that you mentioned. Where could they see, or if you're going on the road or you're doing some kind of you know art show, where could they <clears> catch up with you? Well, the the first place I would send anybody to is, is uh, starofdavidart.com. That is the site for the project, uh, the information site. You could also purchase the Star David limited edition pieces there. My mm -hmm. bio is there, quotes are there. Uh, a lot of information is there about the project. And the other, each each of my projects has its own uh, web, website pretty much. Uh, there's also the tattoo.torah.com, which uh, has the trailer and all the information about the movie uh, and so on. And th those are two good places to start. Is that is the Tattoo Torah just for Jewish kids or for anybody? That's a great question as well. Because I have a lot of Christian listeners who I know are very interested in Judaism and in our journey and very connected and also want to be able to educate their children as to what's been going on. Would it be appropriate for them? What, what USC Shoah has done, it's been, it's so remarkable to be associated and to collaborate with somebody of that stature. You know, this organization that was started by Steven Spielberg after Schindler's List um, to, to document every living Holocaust survivor has grown into a organization that deals with hatred and, and other forms of genocide other than the Holocaust which is important because you need to look at these things in the context of history, not as isolated mm -hmm. incidents. But what they did, what's remarkable is like over 90% of the children they reached through the schools with their uh, educational platform, Eyewitness, uh, are not Jewish. And what they did when they developed this educational curriculum to, to, uh, um, to a as a companion to the film, they did something really clever. They made it, again, universal as opposed to just a Jewish story. What they did was <clears throat> they talk about the Torah as something precious to the Jewish people. But in the curriculum, they say, what is precious to you? 
and they do it twice. They do one exercise before the movie and one after. So in the first exercise, they talk about, okay, this is the sacred thing to the Jewish people. And when it's desecrated or stolen or or harmed, it, that is wrong. So tell us what is precious to you. And they found that when they did this exercise before the movie, people were saying very materialistic things like my iPod, my computer, my right. this, my car. And yeah. then they watch the movie and they see this remarkable, very simple story, but one of, of, you know, it's pretty intense. And then they're asked to repeat that exercise at the end. And all of a sudden, what is when they were asked, what is precious to you change from these more materialistic things to more sentimental and 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 personal items like photos, memories, mm-hmm. uh, events, and uh, <clears throat> I think they did a really good job about conveying the universality of that message of not destroying or desecrating something that's precious, wow. whether it's a Jewish item or a not Jewish item. So we have shown the film to many audiences that are not Jewish, and we get a very similar reaction to it in that it's. Uh, it's a it's an eye opener, not mm-hmm. only to the Holocaust, but what what perseverance is and what, you know, how t- t- kind of determining what's right and wrong. And also what's really valuable to you. You know, exactly. it's not necessarily got material worth. I mean, I'm not even talking about people and the people that you love, who, of course, are precious and priceless. But, you know, the right. things in your life, like you said, you know, if there's a fire in your house, would I grab my phone or would I grab the photo album of my kids when they were little? Right. That kind of thing, you know, so what's not replaceable in many ways. So that's great. So my listeners, I'm giving if you're interested and you want to go see this, bring it into your community, into your family, your church, whatever it is. I would love to get some feedback. Of course, I'll pass everything on to Mark as well as uh, as to how far this is going and the impact it's having. It's amazing. I will send you the link to the uh, eyewitness website where it is available for free for anybody to watch. And if you're an educator, the curriculum is available for free. Mm-hmm. It's also subtitled in eight languages, including Hebrew, Arabic, French, German, Spanish, uh, Hungarian, and wow. Czech. Wow. Uh, we, we also did a Spanish spoken version of it uh, with a famous uh, telenovela actor. And we're possibly going to be doing a Hebrew version spoken because the younger children, it's a little hard to read the subtitles, mm-hmm. but uh, it's much easier if it's spoken. So right, sure. that is in the works. And also in the works is a, a, uh, a uh, in Canada, um, they showed it last Holocaust Remembrance Day. They, they put out an announcement to teachers that the film was available on the USC website and it turned out 17,000 teachers uh, downloaded Whoa. the film and showed it to their classroom of about 35 children each. To do the so math. 400,000 children in, in one week saw the film and did the curriculum. And the reactions were tremendous. And again, a large majority of these children were not Jewish. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting for us to feel like, wow, this 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 story is really connecting with children and uh, people are gravitating towards it and, and, and getting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so now because in Quebec, there is a mostly French speaking, we're working on a, a spoken French version of the film, mm-hmm. which is exciting. 
I'm thinking maybe you should do Chinese the way the world is going. <laughs> no joke. Oh, that's, so we, we haven't done That's interesting. I never thought of that. But mm -hmm. uh, there seems to be a, quite a large Jewish population there. But also, again, it's a universal story. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just, yeah, get a little some of those some of those messages of, I don't know, tolerance and universality might might not be wasted there. Maybe Russian, too. OK, I better stop before I before I go. Well, on we did it. We did it in Russian. Oh, uh, we have a Russian. Oh, that's uh, great. Subtitle. Right. Yeah. If you, if, when you go on the website, you could there's a little button to click for uh, uh -huh. uh, all the different subtitles. So, Amazing. yeah, just I mean, to again, to be working with an organization that's doing such incredible work like USC Shoah mm -hmm. um, or with Soroka or even Shalva. It's all all very, very exciting. Right. So, I mean, technically speaking, where do you where do you make your art? Because this is not like you're sitting, you know, just like in a little room. Uh, you need some equipment here for what you do. Well, it, you know, most of the stuff I use, my it's uh, the Star David piece. All the images I, I took out of research on my cell phone, believe it or not. Really? Huh. The, uh, to be able to blow those images up to a 16 by 24 feet uh, piece in a, in a uh, hospital. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. The technology is is so amazing these days, especially with the cell phone. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of the stuff I do is on the computer. And then uh, when we go to manufacture it, I do I use different places around the world to manufacture. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm always interested. I'm very drawn to photographic images and I'm very drawn to manipulating them on different materials like metal, glass, wood, paper, plastic um so that was always fascinating to me i you know i went to art school for many years and i trained in drawing and painting but i found something just more immediate with photography capturing images and then altering them to make them unique uh i, I guess i just didn't have the patience to sit there and paint or draw something right. as much as i could snap a picture but the the uh, immediacy of that was very exciting to me. And uh, so my my artwork tended to gravitate more towards taking images and seeing what I could do with them, whether it's two dimensional, three dimensional and on all these various mediums. Uh, that's really what's exciting to me, uh, like choosing the uh, and the aluminum for the Star David was exciting because it it took on a whole nother kind of quality in the the reflective nature. You saw the piece. Yes, so you I know did. All the different lightings, it has different uh, reflective qualities on metal, which is very shiny. And the colors are so vibrant and rich. You could um, see them when you're there <clears throat> that they it takes on a different quality as the light changes. Very similar to stained glass windows, which are, you know, something from antiquity up till today, but uh, working on aluminum is just something more contemporary. So uh, I like that dichotomy of past and present, as well as the, the, the something that changes with light or how you view it. And it's not always the same. Mm -hmm. Do you ever give talks? I mean, like this one, but more in depth to budding artists, to people who are interested in that aspect of what you're doing on a completely different level than I can do. Cause I don't have, I'm not an artistic <laughs> person. 
Is I that actually, is there something out there like that, like a circuit for people like you who do that? Well, I with the films we've spoken at so many you know mm-hmm. film festivals and and we've done screenings at synagogues and JCCs right. and and schools. Uh, USC Show wants to do a, a a large one in LA with the unified school district there, which mostly predominantly not Jewish. Right. Um, so about the films, I've spoken quite a lot and the artwork, not as much, but I have done uh, talks about it. And um, I like the, the Q and a part of it. I, I don't mind talking about it, but I, I like more answering questions and having that, that give and take with, with audiences. That's, you know, um, exciting to me. Uh you have I don't know if you haven't seen the the tattooer yet, but there's no. um, in the movie there's a scene where a boy is rehearsing for his bar mitzvah with his grandfather Zadie, and the Nazis interrupt that uh, and eventually take everybody away. Um, and one of our first Q and A's at a synagogue in Chicago when we were premiering the film, a little nine year old girl raised her hand, and her. She started off with a statement. She said, I hope you win an Academy Award, which was charming and endearing. And we were we were shortlisted, but we didn't make the final selection. But that was exciting. But her second question was, did the boy in the story ever get or finish his bar mitzvah? And my jaw hit the ground because I never even thought of that aspect of the story. And it's not in the movie. You know, wow. it's just that was that interruption happens and it the story just goes on from there. I won't spoil it. Right. But asking that question for a nine year old child just showed that she totally got it, was engaged in the film. And it, it that resonated with her, that disruption. And so the reason I'm saying that is because that's the part I love is when you get out and talk to real people about your work and have this open dialogue. Cause a lot of times you learn things you would have never thought of. Definitely. And that was, that was a very exciting moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a similar conversation with a, a writer director friend of mine recently who was admiring the, the expansiveness of my Judaic work in both film and, and uh, an art. And she said it was she framed it in a way that was very interesting. She said it was like she was so excited that I was having this success and and producing stuff that I was really proud of in this one genre, in this one niche. And I never really thought thought about it that way. I just you know, I just keep doing what I'm doing, but I never thought of it as being a niche or a one area. You know, again, it's the it's the speaking and getting feedback from people that's the most exciting. So I do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, from what I know about art, not through my own sadly talentless life, but from friends who are artists, that that's the exciting part of art is that you might think be thinking of something when you're putting it out there, but other people are going to interpret it through their eyes, through their history, through the context of their lives and come up with something maybe completely different than you intended, but that's totally fine because there isn't one way of seeing it. And that's the beauty of being such a creative person is that you, you kindle things in other people that they might not even known were, you know, were there. And that has to be incredibly gratifying. I mentioned that when we did the ceremony a, a couple of months ago, I, um, brought up the point that it has been said often that art is incomplete by itself. 
that is what I find the most fascinating because it is the interpretation. You know, 10 people could look at it and see 10 different things. And that's the part I like hearing that feedback. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Mark Bennett, thank you so much, really, for giving us an insight into someone who's clearly quite talented in a few different realms and is so out there that uh, I'm hoping all my listeners in one way or the other are going to you know, start following you, whether it's the filming, whether it's the installations that you're doing, and uh, hopefully really find them all over the world in many different places, shining your own personal light. So I'm so happy to have met you, really, and to have, you know, been able to catch up with you to, to do this interview. And uh, I will definitely get down to Soroka and get to Shalva because th- those are in my wheelhouse here in Israel and, uh, and tell others to do the same and uh, just, you know, continue for many years with what you're doing. All right, everybody. So thank you, Mark Bennett from Aspen. And uh, thank you to all my listeners. Thanks to Ben and to Tabitha for putting out the show every week. And I will hopefully be back next week. Not a bad run, guys. I know I was like AWOL for a while, but now I've I've been pretty consistent. I'm really trying. So wherever you are, I hope you are well and connected. And and that is it for now. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Take care, everybody. And goodbye. Thanks, Mark. Goodbye. Thank you. My name is Jeremy Gimpel, and I live here in the mountains of Judea. And in these unprecedented times, I wanted to offer you a gift from the land of Israel. We've been here at the cutting edge of the Jewish return to the land of Israel. We've come to the place where King David first assembled his men and where he wrote most of the book of Psalms. We are quite literally transforming this desert mountain area into a Garden of Eden-like oasis. Watching prophecy manifest into reality, we felt called to reach out to the nations, to teach them lessons from the Bible in the original Hebrew, unlocking insights and understandings that you can only get if you read the text in its original language and from a Judean perspective. The prophet Zechariah spoke of a time that 10 men from all the nations will grab hold of the corner of a garment of a Judean man and say, take us with you for we have heard that God is with you. Perhaps this is the time that the righteous among the nations will now make a sharp U-turn and reconnect to Israel, reconnect to Judea, reconnect to the Hebrew roots of the spiritual realities of this world. This is an invitation to join us at our next live gathering with hundreds of families from over 30 countries around the world. And if you register now, we'll give you a free gift from Israel, the first five sessions that unlock the secrets of the Hebrew Bible and how to live as a believer in these times. I hope to see you at the Land of Israel Fellowship. Shalom.